0: The following program is brought to you by the Tennessee Broadband Association. Lead Tennessee Radio, conversations with the leaders moving our state forward. We look at the issues shaping Tennessee's future, rural development, public policy, broadband, healthcare, and other topics impacting our communities.
1: Hello, I'm Kerry Huckabee, the Executive Director of the Tennessee Broadband Association. And in this episode of Lee Tennessee Radio, we're talking to Dr. Daniel Collins, who is the State Extension Specialist in UT's Extension Department at the University of Tennessee. Daniel's specialties are STEM, 4-H camping, and performing arts. Three areas that I know require creativity and some hard work, but sounds like a little bit of fun might be involved, too. Daniel, I know your summer has been crazy busy as school is back in session, so I really appreciate you taking some time to join me this morning.
0: Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, tell us about your background, your history with 4-H, and how long you've been the state extension specialist.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I have a long history. Uh, I am a lifer. Uh, I started 4-H when I was five uh, with my mom, who was a 4-H volunteer and a 4-H teacher, uh, in one of her schools. And so um, I've been going through going through the 4-H program. I went from being a participant to being a teen, a teen counselor, to being an adult volunteer, to then going to college, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, I had a, had a life plan kind of figured out. But then my 4-H agent, who was the second mom to me, really um, pulled me in and took me to lunch and was like, I need to talk to you about an opportunity that I think that you need to look at. So I finished um, my bachelor's at Emory & Henry College in Virginia, and then I uh, pursued a master's at Virginia Tech in uh, extension, career in extension. And so then I moved into a role of being a 4-H agent for many years. I was in Grayson County, Virginia for five years, in Smith County, Virginia for three. Then I went uh, moved to North Carolina in Sampson County, North Carolina, where I was a 4-H agent there. And then I got the opportunity to go back to school and then had the opportunity to work in the state 4-H office uh, and and working with the International Exchange Program uh, through North Carolina 4-H while I was working on my doctoral degree. So I most recently graduated in May uh, with my doctoral degree in agriculture and leadership education, focusing on training and development. And now we're here. I've been working at University of Tennessee now for about a year and a half. I'm about to cross that uh, cross that threshold. So it's been very interesting and very exciting in the things that we've got going on in STEM camping and performing arts.
1: Wow, that's a, a really deep-rooted history in 4-H. And since you were five, I've I have found that it seems in many cases once you're a 4-Her, always a 4-Her. So you're definitely a proof of that. And you said you've been involved since you were five, but officially in the school system, is do I remember correctly that students can get involved in 4-H around the fourth
0: grade? That's correct. In Tennessee, we do fourth grade and up. In Virginia, we did a Cloverbud program, which was five to seven, five to eight year olds. So that's how I got to be involved a little bit with after, some after-school opportunities that my mom had uh, had kind of started with another teacher at the school. And then we kind of moved forward after that.
1: Well, I, I don't remember a lot about school, but I do remember making that dairy poster for oh, yeah, the yeah. 4-H project. And I remember making cornbread with my mom in the mm-hmm. kitchen, you know, as part of another project. And, you know, those are really good memories, Once the students are in the program, what kind of experience do you work to provide to them in those early years? And what keeps them involved through their entire education?
0: Well, some of the focus that I have is, as we've mentioned a couple of times, the STEM and camp and performing arts, of course. But project work is really what keeps our kids involved. Uh, They get the opportunities to do public speaking. They get the opportunity to do a portfolio, an e-portfolio that's submitted. Uh, So it's actually a compilation of what they've done throughout the year, their experiences, their project work. And then they uh, get the opportunity to send that in to be judged and to kind of, you know, there's uh, there's monetary awards in some in some instances as well. So it just keeps we just keep adding some things and we keep adding more experiences that keeps them involved. Uh, you know, education is a very, very diverse thing now because we've got all sorts of uh, competition out there for us. But we uh, we're trying to keep it where we, you know, we're research based, so we keep everything kind of pushed forward. In that instance, where everything's aligned to Tennessee education standards and national standards as well.
1: Great. Well, the. National 4-H Council, 4-H, the TMBA, we certainly have some things in common as we work to close the digital divide. And, mm-hmm. you know, you also focus on uh, broadband adoption, digital literacy. Absolutely. Um, the 4-H Tech Changemakers and the STEM Ambassadors is one of the programs that does just that, focuses on those areas. Tell us about how that started and what the mission of the group is.
0: Well, one of the things that I was approached by a couple of different people. Um, uh, Sridhar Upandram is a specialist within the institute at UT, and um, he actually is one of our national program leaders on this program. And so he taught, he, he kind of approached my boss, uh, Mr. Justin Crow, and kind of looked in my direction of you know he's a STEM specialist, so let's look at you know let's look at some opportunities and. One of the big things that I am, I've been working in rural populations for a long time. And even when I went to North Carolina, it was very rural. And one of the big things that I feel growing up in a very Appalachian, very rural area myself, that there were opportunities that some people got that I, well, I felt this way. We'll say it that way. I felt this way that there were opportunities that others got by having that digital access And by having that opportunity to have a computer that was not 10 years old and was able to connect without dial up. So um, growing up in that in that aspect there, it was one of those that I struggled with because I was like, all these people get to see all these things and have all these opportunities. And it actually became a passion of mine to make sure that, you know, the kids that I was working with and the kids and the parents and the families that I was working with were able to be connected and see the things that we're doing. So I had to do some extra steps, uh, working in Grayson County, Virginia, as a 4-H agent is actually making some phone calls. Um, even though they didn't have the internet, I was making phone calls. I was sending letters, which that was something that we did in the, in the nineties when I was a 4, as a 4-H member, we got our letter and we were like, Oh yeah, we're going to have a meeting. We have all these things. But, um, now today's age has really moved in that direction of people don't have time to really sit down and make a phone call uh, to individual families or to be able to do that when they're trying to get the information out. Now we do have some agents out there in our state that are that are still kind of you know doing the things that they need to do because of the uh, limited access and the digital divide, as you had mentioned. But we also just kind of. I see, I look around the fact that we still have a lot of Tennesseans that do not have that access. So being able to provide that through a 4-H program was a, a key goal for us. And so being able to show that youth can teach adults and youth can, you know, model the opportunities that they have. And I think one of the other things, too, is that the safety that goes along with internet with the Internet and digital access is something that, and even my parents will—they'll call me—and um, we've had that, we've had internet there since I graduated college, but they'll call me and say, "What what is this? Why does this keep coming up? Or what is this information?" So um, I became the technology uh, guru of our family. So <laughs> that's really how that kind of played out there too. But the passion really—it really shows through, and our agents and our teens of. Uh, we've got, we've had a few very interested in this information because of the fact that it is rural access uh, plus urban areas as well.
1: Yes. And I think, you know, we all knew broadband was important or broadband access was important before, but then the pandemic came along and just, you know, drove that point home. Um, That is correct. And so, I think all of us are working really hard in our state to make sure that everyone has access. And you hit on a point about being in Virginia, not having that access, and you felt like you were missing those opportunities Mm -hmm. to to be connected out out beyond your community or in your community. And last year, the uh, National 4-H Council and the Harris Poll, they did put together a digital impact survey Uh, to look at those economic and social effects of broadband Mm -hmm. access on teens and the communities that they live in. And as I read through the survey, as I said, it supported what we're all saying anyway, that broadband is a necessity for so many reasons. But what really jumped out at me is something you just said. Teens with no broadband or uh, unreliable broadband connection Are likely to stay within their community to look Mm -hmm. for work. And we've talked a lot about students that have broadband access get to look at all these opportunities or they get to work from home. They get to find a job and find something that they can do at home and stay in the community they love, but have access to other careers. So I was a little taken aback by this. Because I hadn't realized that not having a broadband connection, that you feel like you're very limited, that you maybe just have to stay in your community to look for work. So touch on that a little bit.
0: So I'll I'll just give you a personal example of the fact that um, my ambition was to go to a local college. I was going to be a teacher. I was going to be a coach at my home home high school. Uh, Just because it was one of those, at that time, I had never really experienced outside of Southwestern Virginia. And it was one of those that because we didn't, I didn't even have a cell phone at that time. So you know, imagine people are like, Oh my gosh, cell phones. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have one until I, it was almost college. And my, um, I was going to be going away and doing some different things and traveling quite a bit. So my parents decided that it was time for me to have one. Um, and I've had one since with the same phone number, which is very, most people are like, you have the same phone number that you had at the very beginning. I said, yes, I have.
1: Hey, me too.
0: But, see, it's one of those, but it's a rarity usually, I guess, because some people are like, oh my gosh, how, how do you, you know, maybe you needed to get, I'm like, I don't, if people need to get a hold of me, there's no excuse of that. They have my cell phone number. Yeah, But me too. Um, but that that whole that whole part there of speaking to the limited on the access so i just finished my dissertation and it was focused in rural appalachia and one of the biggest things that came from that research was the out migration of you know uh they call the term brain drain is what they call it Mm -hmm. and um when we send our brightest and smartest and things of that nature who are trades who have you know knowledge in those trades and they find out there are, there are more opportunities outside of their, you know, to make money, to start a family, to get more uh, type of uh, assistance if they if they need it. It's outside of the uh, the region. And that was one of the big things that when I started working in the region, because I knew I had already experienced, you know, travel and being able to go to other places at that time in college and I was like, you know, I want to show these kids that, yes, we do live in a great area of Virginia, but there are also some opportunities out there as well. So I started doing some, some team programming where I would take them on trips and, you know, exp- expose them to other cultures and to give them an idea of what our nation's capital looked like, you know. So there were a lot of things that kind of motivated me with that, and it really boils down to that digital access, I believe.
1: I think you're right too, because whether they choose to stay in their community or they choose to go, we want them to have the tools that they need to make that decision. Absolutely. You, yeah, you don't want them to be forced to make a decision because they're doing without um, that knowledge. Was were there any other aha moments from that survey findings that you go that you were surprised by, or anything that just uh, confirmed? What you believed
0: uh, everything <laughs> to be very <laughs> honest um, after I because I, I read through that as well um, and looking into the information of that because people are like you do know that they did this and I was like obviously I did not know that because I, it was something that I kind of uh, had gotten word about but didn't know completely about but once I did look at it and you know focused on the fact that we are hitting a very big opportunity for our 4-H'ers right now and for our volunteers and our agents as well for this program. But that really just kind of justified it for me. When I was looking in through this survey, it was just like, yes, I grew up that way. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, it was just one of those things that I kept talking through my head as I was reading those things, reading through those is, wow, this is amazing that they actually have the, some empirical evidence to be able to prove that.
1: Yes, I, I read through it and and I think as we've said before, there were things in there we knew. Um, yes. and it just reaffirmed um, what we believe. But I sent it over to uh, Pioneer, my account manager, and I said, "This is fantastic data. Um, you know, we should use this to educate everyone and in Absolutely. our social media post and get it out there. You know, it may be a best kept secret, but it's it's great information." I love that. The TNBA Marketing Committee had the opportunity to visit UT and and to uh be there. And we, we also a couple of years, well I guess it's been three years ago pre-COVID that we attended Roundup, uh, that event, and oh, yeah. yeah, we had a great time, um, but the last time we were up there, you shared some great news about the National 4-H Council and a grant that you will be receiving for the digital literacy. Um, tell us about that, how you plan to use that, and, and what good that will do.
0: So the the grant is a one year grant. It's called the 4-H Tech Change Makers Grant, and it is uh, about the availability of funds for us to train and develop teenagers, or training teams of teens, to go out into their communities and train adults. Now it it can be a range from eighteen to ninety nine. In uh, training them, but training them in STEM concepts to kind of break that digital divide is what we're trying to do. We're trying to build that digital access. So we've also got some funding to be able to purchase some materials and some training opportunities to be able to, uh, you know, give out to our our offices and our uh, our trainers to go out into their communities and actually show individuals how to use. Uh, digital concepts, and that could range from netiquette to um, just basic computer skills. Uh, We have a lot, and I I know this for a fact, we have a lot uh, in Knox County, and Knox County is one of the, and I live in Knox County now, but um, I know that there is quite a bit of urban parts of Knox County, but there are really a lot of rural parts of Knox County that still have populations that do not use the internet very well or very much because one out of fear, two out of access because there's still some limited access in around the area. And three, most of them just think, you know, I read my newspaper. I read the things that I, that I have to have to get my news. I don't really need to need the internet, but, um, we're hoping to build some, you know, build on some horizons of, you know, you've got opportunities to check out, things at the grocery store before you even make a trip to the grocery store. You can check out things at a department store uh, to kind of even shop online and be safe about that. And so we're trying to open those opportunities for those individuals. Um, you know, and I've used Knox County as an example, but we're trying to do that in all 95 counties in, throughout the state. So we're, we're br- opening this up to, we started it out with 20 trainers, but I feel like we're going to have a few more than that. Um, when it comes to our teen opportunities, because they do, we do, you know, we pay to train them, we pay to uh, pay for them to get out there and do those, uh, do those lessons and do those opportunities, uh, to get out there and really hope, hopefully close that STEM gap and close that digital divide.
1: So you did say that you hope to have it in all 95 counties. Yes. OK,
0: so it's an opportunity. It, I mean, it, it's an opportunity for everybody in all 95 counties. We'll say it that way. Now, will we have all 95 counties the first year? Probably not. OK, but um, but will our attempt is to have as big as a spread as we can when it comes to this opportunity. OK,
1: so you've got 20 trainers. Do I um Will those trainers go into each county and train 4-H students to go out and work with anyone from between 18 and 99? Or how is that going to work in each county?
0: That's a great question. So the trainers are actually the teen, uh, teens. So the teens will take, you know, we'll put them, we have a curriculum that we do with training and uh, training and development. And I'm working with a couple of other of our state specialists to get this training done. But we're going to train these trainers who are the teens, and they're, it's kind of a train the trainer type thing. They're going to go out and they're then going to either teach individually with their agent or team teach with their agent or team teach with another team and go out and do some of these digital access uh, curricula. So, what we're working with is we're working with another uh, part of a grant. Uh, through Streethar, which Streethar has been very instrumental in a few things for us in uh, developing some very great digital access curriculum. And it's focused toward adults. So what we have to do is we have to train these teens because normally teens are really you know they're focused on working with younger 4H 4H um, members. right. Now we're going the other direction. so we're having to train them how to work with adults. And so um, that's one thing that, you know, as a teen, I worked with adults very well, uh, you know, because I had adult, vol- we had a very big adult volunteer uh, base in my home county. And so i learned that difference that, you know, a fourth graders a lot different than a 30 some year old. So, right. so we're working on we're working on getting that information together to put a great training together so they can go out and be those STEM ambassadors for this program.
1: Okay, so I live here in Warren County. Okay, yeah, and uh, we our extension office is here. And so, how will you find those adults for the teens to work with? Where how will you will you go to the local senior center? Will you advertise it, market it, and have people sign up, or how will you find those
0: students? It's a great question. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be working on community action plans. So the way that we're going to be working with that is, you know, we may take them by a region. We may take them by an area. We're not really sure exactly because we're still working out some of those kinks. But um, in developing, um, you know, who can you ask? Can you go to the library? Can you go to churches? Can you go to Um, You know, Ruatan or Kiwanis, can you go to certain things and be able to say, hey, we have this opportunity. We would love to bring it and share it with you. And um, that's another thing that I think as a teen, I would have appreciated to be able to learn how to identify who to reach out to and how Mm -hmm. to reach out to them. And so we're hopefully going to be able to teach them how to identify those individuals or groups and how to, uh, how to work with them to get something planned, where to go to, uh, those type things. Because I wish that I had been told earlier before I became a 4-H agent that, you know, the worst somebody can say is no. I mean, really? So that's one of those things that, you know, most of the time when you, when you attach a 4-H name to something, people are like, oh, yeah, I would really love to know some more about that. But um, the impact, I think, is going to be the biggest difference there, too. Because uh, we're we've got some really exciting lessons for them to work with.
1: Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. I know that I'm in between that 18 and 99 age group, and <laughs> last night I'm trying to clear the my browsing history or uh-huh. uh, clean out the cookies and things on my computer, and and I was struggling with it. So, uh, you know, I know the training's more basic with virus protection and just mm-hmm. how to use FaceTime or Zoom or or things like that, but uh, what a great opportunity for the students to work with that demographic of, of uh, you know, the community and, Absolutely. you know, just such a great learning experience for
0: both. Well, I think it's going to be an opportunity for them to understand that technology for, that, for an older crowd has completely evolved for this younger crowd. And that's how, I mean, just looking at the opportunities, like when I first had a cell phone, it didn't have internet capability. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It was just a cell phone, like and then text messaging came along, and then the internet kind of connected to it. And now we have apps that do a lot of stuff for us. So that's the whole thing that I'm excited about for them to see and understand that this has evolved a lot. Like I think that they I think that they see that it's evolved, but actually experiencing it is going to be a total different experience there too.
1: Right. They've been raised with technology. You're where, right. Where someone like myself remembers back in the early 90s when we, we were saying, what's this Internet thing again? Yes, yes. You know, um, and then we've just had to keep up and try to keep up with the technology as it's gone along where it just comes natural to them. So,
0: yeah, it's it's unreal how the difference of that, too.
1: Yes. Fantastic. So after the year, this grant is for one year. That's correct. Will the program go on after that one year, or will you be trying to find other ways to finance uh, the program?
0: It's a great question. So this is a, a, a grant available every year. Okay. And so now funding changes and funders change, but this is something that they feel is very important for National 4-H Council, and we feel it's very important in Tennessee 4-H. So we're going to continue, we're, our plans are to continue this program for many, many years.
1: That's great. Yeah, it, it it sounds like a too good of a thing to let it in after one year. I definitely
0: agree with you. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> I definitely agree with you. Uh, on
1: that. Well, it. I think we've said this to you before. To uh, many of the TNBA members, uh, are, you know, we cover about a little over thirty percent of the state, and so mm-hmm. if there's anything that we can do to be of help with this program, don't hesitate to reach out and ask. We love. I will definitely
0: be doing an ask. I'm just going to let you know that right now. All right, (laughs)
1: fantastic. I mean, we're all we're all after the same thing is, uh, um, you know, doing better for our communities and reaching those people that that need broadband access for sure. Absolutely. So, Daniel, as we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to add about the 4-H program, or just what you love about what you do every day?
0: I I tell you what I love about what I do every day is the aha moments that kids and volunteers and even our agents get, especially when it comes to a concept of what we're talking about. And, you know, I'll just use, for example, this. uh, We have a STEM steering committee, a 4-H STEM steering committee made of agents and regional program leaders now and a couple of specialists. But this is we're in a very technology driven era right now. And to be able to hand something or to, you know, share something with a kid, with a a professional, whatever, and them say, oh, wow, that is that's what I I get up out of the bed every day for. And so I love being able to share that as a specialist. Um, Camp is the same way. Performing arts is the same way. But STEM is really one of those that. There's a lot of impact out there right now, and we are really gaining some tr- uh, some leeway when it comes to our STEM programming. I'm hoping to grow this program uh, statewide even more. Uh, you know, digital access is very important, but there's other parts of STEM that I want to really focus on as well. Uh, we've developed a partnership with Typical College of Engineering on UT's campus, and we're doing some outreach and grant writing with them. Um, we're doing some other work with some other uh, departments right now too. To hopefully get some more uh, collaboration going on as well. So we've got some exciting things coming down the pipe for uh, for us in STEM. And I'm hoping that we can uh, keep moving forward and not get set back any.
1: Well, you're certainly doing some great things that that matter and make a difference for sure. So I thank you for all you do, Daniel.
0: Well, thank you so much. Uh, I love this opportunity. Um, Hopefully we can do this again after, and I can have some kids uh, and some uh, agents be a part of this after we get kind of started. But I would love to be able to highlight what they're doing as well.
1: That's a great idea. I love that. Yes. So my guest has been Dr. Daniel Collins, who is the State Extension Specialist with the University of Tennessee. And you've been listening to Lee Tennessee Radio, produced by the Tennessee Broadband Association. Cooperative and independent companies connecting our states, rural communities and beyond with world-class broadband.